God the Son. God named Jesus. And the way that God loved in the Trinity is why he created you and me. The reason God created you and me was to express that love in our hearts, to put that love within all of us. Finding Christmas in the book of Genesis. Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Earlier this week, we began a series of teachings about the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And to understand the role of Jesus in the Trinity, we need to go all the way back to the beginning. With this in mind, here's David with a message simply called, The Son. Okay, are you ready to go? Uh, Three people are ready to go, okay. Fasten your seatbelts, the second person of the Godhead in the Trinity. Now, what is the Trinity is the first question. Let me repeat some of the things I said last week. The Trinity is one God in three persons. One God in three persons. Uh, Some of the Islamic faiths say that's numerical nonsense. Some others in the Jewish tradition and Muslims say that's polytheism. You worship three gods. Nothing could be farther from the truth. In the history of the Christian church, as said in the Nicene Creed that we repeated earlier, in the Athanasian Creed was written about 100 years after the Nicene Creed, the church has always believed, we believe in one God, monotheistic in three persons, though, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, all different kinds of attempts through the ages have been given by illustration to try to help people understand it. We looked at some of those last week. One person, but with three different personalities. Now, the idea there is like uh, an actor on a stage who puts on three different masks, one actor, three different masks. Folks, All of the illustrations we've looked at, although they're kind of helpful, they run dangerously close to an early church heresy called modalism, M-O-D-A-L-I-S-M. So if you even use that illustration I just used, it's dangerously close to modalism, which does not suggest it's one God in three persons. Three personalities, but not three persons. And the Christian faith believes it's one God in three persons. It's a mystery. If you can figure out everything about God, what would happen? You'd be God. And there'd be no reason to worship him. There is a part of God that is a mystery, and it is expressed in the Trinity. But though it is a mystery, it still can be attempted to be understood, and that's what I want to do with you today. In the second person of the Godhead, God the Son, God named Jesus. Now, in Jesus' high priestly prayer in John, the 17th chapter, verses 20 through 24, he gives us some insights into his relationship with the Father. We'll look at the Holy Spirit next week, but before we read this passage together, let me just simply say, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in that unique one relationship, their greatest drive was to love one another. Before this world was ever created, they loved one another. The primary issue of the Father that we looked at last week was his love. 1 John 4, verse 8, verse 16, God is love. And the way that God loved in the Trinity is why he created you and me. The reason God created you and me was to express that love in our hearts, to put that love within all of us, to share the love the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have known with one another since the foundations of the earth so that we can know that love too. So why are you here? It is to receive the love of the Father and then to love other people. God keeps creating people from millions to billions so he'll have more people whom he can love. 
That is the reason God created you and me. And it's what exists primarily in the Trinity. You'll see this love between the Father and the Son in the verses we're about to read. These verses are called the high priestly prayer of Jesus. He had just prayed for his disciples. Now he's praying for all who believe in him. Guess who that is? Anybody who's here today who believes in Jesus. Listen to these words. Jesus said, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So this high priestly prayer is not only for his 12 disciples whom he just addressed, but also for you and me who have expressed through our word that we believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. If you've spoken that word, you believe in Jesus, this prayer is for you. What does he want from us? That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent us. He wants us to be one. There's nothing that expresses the Christian faith more than when churches remain one. There's nothing that shows Jesus isn't alive, isn't resurrected, than when churches divide. There's nothing that denies who Jesus is and why he came than when a Christian marriage separates. He wants us to be one as the Father and he are one. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even as you loved me. The world will see the love of the Father to the Son and the Son to the Father as the Father and the Son live within us and make us one with one another who say we follow Jesus. Father, verse 24, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me. When, folks, read the last part with me. When? Before? Before the world was ever created, the Father loved the Son perfectly, and the Son loved the Father perfectly, and they are in one another perfectly. A mystery. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit exist in one God. They love one another before this world was ever created, and at some point in the expanses of heaven, there was an angel named Lucifer the worship leader in heaven, and he rebelled against God. He wanted to be greater than God. He envied the position of Jesus. And in that rebellion, he led a third of the angels with him, and they became the demonic hordes. They have been rebelling against God, having war against God since that moment. Now, God then created this world. Biblically, we know Genesis 1 and 2, everything operated perfectly. In original intent, there was perfect relationship between God and Adam and Eve. There was a perfect relationship between Adam and Eve. There was a perfect relationship with creation, the nature that existed. No earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes, none of that existed in God's original intent. When God looked at creation in Genesis 1 and 2, he declared it good. It's operating the way I want it to operate. It's good. And then he had communion with Adam and Eve. He walked in the garden with them day and night. They spent intimate times together. And he said, you can eat of any tree in this garden except one. Just don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For if you do that, you will declare that you're God. You will say like Satan, Lucifer in heaven, that you are greater than I am. You want to control what's good and evil. You will decide what's good and evil. Don't do that. And of course, you know in Genesis 3.1, the Lucifer who led the rebellion in heaven shows up on earth. 
And he tempts Eve with the very temptation God told Eve not to eat of. He said, eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you shall be as God. You'll be greater than God. You can take control of your life. You'll define what's good, and you'll define what's evil. And of course, she bit the fruit. She rebelled, and she passed it on to Adam. He followed suit. And what came upon this earth, folks, is the curse, the curse of the fall. It affected everything. There was now a separation between Adam and Eve and all humanity and God. There's a separation among ourselves. There's division, no more unity that God desires. Creation doesn't operate the way God intended it. There are now hurricanes, earthquakes, plagues, tornadoes. All of that has now come into this world. In fact, in the Christmas hymn we sing, Joy to the World, there's a a line in there that says, far as the curse is found, the curse is found everywhere. In every particle of God's creation, the curse of the fall exists, even so much as in the ovum and the sperm of every man and woman. When you were conceived in your mother's womb and that fallen, cursed sperm from your dad and that fallen, cursed ovum from your mom came together and formed you, you were birthed with a propensity, a bitterness towards sin. The Bible clearly teaches it. It's the doctrine of original sin. It is not in much favor today with secularists. Most people want to believe I'm basically a good person and occasionally I do bad things. The Bible clearly teaches we are basically selfish and occasionally we do good things because we're created in the image of God. In Psalm 51, David cries out, in sin did my mother conceive me. Jesus said in Matthew 7, a verse we looked at last week in talking about prayer, he said, if you earthly fathers who are evil, and we are, want to give good gifts to your children who ask for them, we do at Christmas time, don't we? How much more the heavenly father wants to give good gifts to you, his precious children? But he makes it very clear, you fathers, you mothers, we're all selfish, we're all evil. In our hearts, we are conceived with and live in a propensity towards self, toward rebellion against God. We define what's good and evil. We do what we want to do. Now, I've often joked with you, but let me say it again. If you don't believe that, have a child. Have a child. You will see from the very earliest days onward, they want the world to revolve around them. But here's another illustration. Marilyn and I have three children. They're all grown. We've raised them. We tried to teach them how to honor and respect their parents, how to love other people, uh, how not to do evil. But here's something we learned. Not once did we ever have to teach our children how to sin. Did we? You, who's a parent here today? Raise your hand if you're a parent. Have you ever had to teach your child how to sin? How to lie? Uh, how to take advantage of the situation, how to twist the truth for their own benefit. We haven't, because it comes naturally. It comes without any hesitation, because they're birthed with a sinful nature, with a desire for the world to revolve around them. So you have the triune God, one God loving Father, Son, and Holy Spirit perfectly, creating this world for that same kind of love, but there's a fall that's occurred. Now, now here's the dilemma. If God is perfect love, and he created you and me for that love to exist in and to have a love relationship with him and with one another, he, he looks at this world and sees our rebellion, and he is in what I call a cosmic conundrum. 
Here's his conundrum. He's not only perfect love, he's perfect holiness. In Isaiah 6, the other major attribute of God next to his love is the only phrase adjectively that's used in triplicate to describe God. What is that term? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The angels cried out before the throne of God. So God's not only perfect love, he's perfect holiness. And his holiness looks at our rebellion against him and his wrath is raised. He's angry against sin and how we've desecrated his once perfect creation. So his wrath demands justice. Doesn't it? The people in New York City want justice. When we're offended, we want justice. So does God. So he has his love contradicted by his holiness. That's his cosmic conundrum. What does he do? And here's what he does. One day in the expanses of eternity, as he looked at this world, heading toward death and destruction, realizing that he created hell, the book of Matthew says that God created hell, but not for you and me, because he loves us deeply. He created hell for the devil and his angels. But he also realizes that if we continue in our unabashed rebellion against him, that will be our eternal destination. So knowing that his holiness has been highly offended, yet he has deep love for us still, he turns to his son. And in perfect love, he says, son, not created from me, but begotten from me, which means he flows from the same essence from the father, son. Would you please take on human flesh and be conceived by the power of the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, who will bypass the conception process in the womb of a virgin named Mary in Israel. And you will be conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in that virgin's womb by a spoken word from me. And you will be a perfect man in human flesh created by me in that womb. And you'll be birthed in a cradle in the squalor of poverty in a town called Bethlehem, fulfilled in prophecy from Micah, the fifth chapter, verse 2, something written hundreds of years beforehand about this birth. And will you go? In Philippians, the second chapter, according to Pauline language, the Apostle Paul says that the Son, in eternity, did not think equality with God was something to be grasped. You and me, we think equality with God something to be grasped. I'm God. I can do what I want to do. I'll define what's good and evil. But Jesus didn't think equality with God was something to be grasped, but submitted himself and obeyed him and took on human form and went to the cross and died the death we deserved and gave us through his death forgiveness from our sins. You see... I can't die for you because I'm a sinful man. You can't die for me because you're a sinful person. The person who can only die for us has to have sin bypassed in his life. Jesus, during his 33 years, perfectly obeyed the righteous requirements of the law. He perfectly obeyed everything that was necessary under the law. So a human being can only die in our stead. I can't help but think that Satan, before the incarnation, cackled with delight, thinking, everybody's going to hell with me and the demons. They're all sinful. They all fall far short of the glory of the perfect holy God. <laughs> but he didn't realize the love of the Father who had become one of us. 
He didn't realize that God would take on human flesh and be the perfect God and the perfect man and obey the righteous requirements of the law where we couldn't and go to the cross and take all of the wrath of God upon himself that we deserved, something he didn't deserve, and then give us the forgiveness of our sins, our hearts cleansed from all of that sin mess and not receive the judgment we deserve. Why'd he do it? Because God loves you. The Father loves you. And if you ever doubt the love of the Father, first of all, look at the cradle. Jesus leaving the splendor of heaven to take on the squalor of this earth. Jesus leaving the riches of eternity to enter the poverty of time and space. And also, not only look at the cradle, look at the cross. The suffering God would go through to take the wrath of the Father upon himself so that we wouldn't have to. And our relationship with the Father could be reestablished. And the triune love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit can now live in you and me. The incarnation. I love Mexican food. Did anybody here love chili con carne? Chili con carne. Yeah. Meat with flesh on. That's what it means. And now aren't you thankful that you believe in God con carne? God with flesh on. All kinds of illustrations may be helpful at this point. Uh, For example, there is the illustration of if you saw a hill of ants that you deeply and dearly loved and you had all power, yet you saw water rushing down upon that hill and you wanted to warn those ants because, again, you loved them so much of the impending danger, and again, you had all power, what would be the best way of communicating to those ants about the danger? If you had all power, it would be to become an ant. Become an ant. That's what God did. God became an ant. God became a human being because he knew the only way he could communicate with us is to put on flesh, to look into his face. There's another great hymn of the faith, Hark the Herald Angels Sing During Christmas. There's a line in it that says, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. God veiled his perfect holiness so that we can look into his face and live. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with an insightful conversation about the presence of Christmas. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp, holding a sign that said, hungry, we'll work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. 
With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks so much for being with us. It's great being with you as well, Jen. Well, in this morning's Moment of Hope, you wrote about the presence of Christmas, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Well, we're looking at words this week that describe Christmas, and we've seen words like pursuit and humility. Uh, Today's word is presence, and it is an important word to understand Christmas fully because God sent his son into the world, and the great message that the Father wanted all of us to know with this sending is that He will be with you always, even until the close of the age. And we know that because Jesus' name was not only Jesus, which means Savior, but another name given to him was Emmanuel in fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. The word Emmanuel means God is with us. So we have in Jesus a word in John 16 where he said, it's for your good that I leave you. And it says the disciples were filled with sorrow when he said that. And that word sorrow means extreme depression. They couldn't imagine life without him. But Jesus says, it's for your benefit that I leave. Why? Because when he is raised from the dead and ascends to heaven at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down and now lives inside the hearts of all people who believe. Not only are we now having the gospel spread throughout the world by people everywhere who proclaim the good news of Jesus. He's not limited to one locale in that area of the world in Jerusalem, Judea, etc. But now everyone who believes in Jesus can proclaim the gospel of the good news of the forgiveness of our sins because the Holy Spirit comes down and lives in us. But not only is there that benefit, there's also the benefit that God is with us, in us, every single day of our lives until we go be with him again. And I would even suggest in heaven, we need to claim the reality. He'll still live in us and we live in him, that perfect oneness relationship, union life with Jesus. So this Christmas season, let's reclaim the word presence as being important in understanding the Christmas narrative. And I would say one more thing here, Jen. We tend to reduce Christmas to presents, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, for our children. We spend inordinate amounts of time trying to figure out what to buy them and how much we should spend, all of those kind of things. Maybe this year we pause and say, hey, kids, this Christmas season, realize especially that Christmas is much more about God's presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, than presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, and we would understand again why Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. This is so beautiful. It actually reminds me when my daughter was born, my firstborn, and Chris had a little bit of paternity time at home when he had to go back to work. I had a sense of grief because I just enjoyed his presence so much. And I was sad that he had to go back. And And I just think about that often, actually, when I think about Jesus leaving the disciples and their grief was obviously way much more deep than that was. But I can relate in some way. And I am so thankful for the Holy Spirit with yeah. us. The third person of the Godhead who's oftentimes overlooked as a part of the Christmas narrative, but he is the one who created Jesus in the womb. Mm. 
of Mary, perfect God, perfect human, and he's the one who did that. He is the one who lives inside of us. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of the Holy Spirit and his presence this Christmas season and forever. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, David. Yeah, and thank you, listeners, for joining us. If you'd like these daily written Moments of Hope, please go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there. From my heart to yours, a daily moment of hope, 7 a.m. every morning to give your day a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moment of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out David's Hopecast. They're both free and available at momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for a spirit of unity in our homes this season.